Hi, I'm Brett. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Congratulations to everyone who took a chip tonight, especially those who took newcomer chips. I hope you keep coming. Uh, I'm not one to tell drunkologues or war stories, so I'm going to spend a few minutes telling you about what got me here, and I'm going to spend most of my time this evening talking about, uh, you know, how this program uh, changed my life, saved my life, got me sober. Um, my last drink was on December 24th, 1985. My last drunk was about two weeks before that. Um, I was uh, 16 years old, junior in high school. Uh, my drinking to that point got me in every kind of trouble you can imagine. Got me in trouble with the law, got me in trouble at school, got me in trouble at work, got me in trouble at home. My mother got a call one night from the local chief of police. I live in a very small town. He said, uh, could you bring your son down to the police station uh, later this evening? And I got there, and they had some interesting stuff to show her, and they had a whole presentation all laid out about, uh, you know, what the, the rehab options were in the area. You know, they were, they were all ready to go. They had been uh, – keeping track of me and everything that I was doing for about six months, unbeknownst to me, I was in such a fog. But, you know, it may seem like I was young when I came in. You know, even, even that time, even in the mid-1980s, you know, my high school had a uh, substance abuse counselor already. All of the neighboring high schools did. Even when I started coming to AA, um, every group had a bunch of kids my age uh, already got an early start in recovery. Um, I didn't realize how truly blessed I was to get here at such a young age, but I soon did. Um, up to that point, it never really even occurred to me that I was an alcoholic. I mean, it never even occurred to me that alcohol was even a problem. You know, in, in, in my psychosis, I really thought that alcohol was the solution to all my problems. That's that's where I was even at my bottom, okay? Um and I had this appointment set up to go on this uh, uh, rehab interview. And uh, the night before was the, the last drunk that I had. And I spent the evening thinking about uh, what I could tell these counselors so that they wouldn't uh, recommend me going to inpatient treatment in Minnesota in, you know, December, January, which is, you know, this is cold which a lot of people that I had been partying with, that's that's what happened to them. And I didn't want to go, and that was my motivation. I came up with this grand scheme about all the wonderful lies I was going to tell these counselors so that I wouldn't have to, uh, to go to inpatient rehab. After four hours of, 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 of giving my carefully tailored answers to their questions, the lady uh, came out, um, and with you know my parents were there, and she put her hand on my shoulder and said, uh, you're an alcoholic. You have a... Uh, fatal, progressive disease. There's no cure, but there's treatment, and there's a better life for you, you know, if you want it. And, you know, these words were just shocking to me. Uh, you know, like I said, even even at my bottom, you know, e even, even with the arrests and the problems at school and the problems at home and everything, I just wanted to get past whatever I was being confronted with and go back and drink some more. It never occurred to me that, uh, that you know, drinking was the, the root of the problem, or, or as I found later here, it wasn't so much a drink, it was the ism. And that's what we learned through this program, is it's the ism. Um, 
As it turns out, I didn't go to inpatient. They let me go to outpatient uh, three days a week. I trudged through the snow to get to the bus. I trudged through the snow some more to get to the train. About uh, three hours round trip to go and talk to a rehab counselor for 30 minutes. And as long as I my urine came up clean, they said you could keep doing that. Uh, they also told me I had to go to AA, and I didn't want to do that at first. And uh, my dad drew the short straw, and it was his job to take me to my first meeting, and we got to the parking lot. And I said, Dad, I don't want to go. And he said, you know, I don't either. Let's just drive around for an hour, and then we'll go home. Next night, my mother took me, and it was snowing. And we were about a mile from home where the church was, and she said, Fred, I don't care what you do, but you're getting out of this goddamn car, and you can either go on a meeting, and you can meet some people and get a ride home, or you can walk home in the snow. And I got out of the car, and I went into the meeting. And it was a speaker meeting, and uh, there were uh, speaker meetings there were a little bit different, but there was a, a leader who talked for a few minutes, and then there were two speakers who spoke for about 15 or 20 minutes each. And, you know, 34 years later, and, and I can still remember that meeting like it happened, you know, yesterday. Um, it, you know, it was a life-changing experience. I didn't realize it at the time. You know, I was scared to be there. I didn't want to be there. Um, I hadn't had a drink in a few days, and I really wanted to more than anything else in the world. Uh, but something happened. You know, I could relate to what those three, three people were talking about in that meeting. One of the, the, the leader that night said, uh, you know, if you're new, try to identify and not compare, and that's exactly what I did. Um, I wanted to compare. I wanted to find reasons why I didn't belong here, why I was different from you. Um, you know, I wanted to come up with any excuse in the world to bolt. Um, I didn't do that, though. I stayed for the meeting, and after the meeting, uh, you know, some people introduced themselves to me. I left that meeting with a sponsor and a big book. A step book, and a meeting list, and uh, you know I never had another drink again after that. And uh, a lot of other wonderful things happened too, which I'll get into. Um, the next night, my new sponsor uh, picked me up to drive me to a meeting, and the, there was a, a greeter standing out in the cold greeting everybody. And he said he stuck his hand out and he said, no, "I'm so and so, and I'm a grateful, happy alcoholic." And then he leaned into me and he said. Now I wanted to go in there and sit up front with the dummies. And it was another speaker meeting. So I went in the room and I sat up front with the dummies. I was the only one in the front row. And then about five seconds before the meeting started, the greeter came in and he sat next to me. And uh, uh, as it turns out, he was one of the most you know, beloved you know, men in the, in the whole area at the time. Um, it took me a few 24s you know, to figure out what he was talking about and why he was so enthusiastic about introducing himself as a grateful, happy alcoholic. But I did get to that point where I felt that way. And it didn't take years either. Um, that became my home group. And, um, you know, my sponsor would uh, pick me up to go to meetings. I didn't realize it, you know, until later when he told me. But, you know, he th I lived in northern New Jersey at the time. He had a 50 minute commute each way to New York City to work. And then it was another 30 minutes for him to go and pick me up in the middle of nowhere to drive me to a meeting that happened to be right near his house. But that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that happens. You know, that that's that's one of the things that really grabbed me about this fellowship in the beginning. You know, my sponsor was only one person who was doing that. You know, the rooms were filled with people who would go out of their way 
to help the newcomer, even if the newcomer was thick-headed and defiant and argumentative like I was. You know, even if even if they didn't want to be there and their only reason, their only motivation was to stay out of jail or stay out of rehab or, or whatever. Um, in the beginning, that's what my motivation was. Didn't want to go to rehab, but uh, you know, this 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 gratitude and this happiness that I saw in Joe and in my sponsor and, and all of these other people that I met. It, it gave me more and more reasons to keep coming when, you know, every day I wanted to bolt, I wanted to drink. Um, they gave me a card uh, at that first meeting, and it had the serenity prayer on one side. It had the steps and the traditions and the preamble. And, you know, this is a long time ago. This is before they had cell phones, uh, text messaging, online meetings. You know, if I called my sponsor during the day, you know, he'd listen to the message at 10 o'clock at night after he saw me at the meeting that we were going. So they, you know, they said, look, if you have an urge to drink, just read this, read this card, read the serenity prayer over and over again until the urge to drink passes. And um, I didn't really pray. I mean, you know, I was raised in a Catholic home, but I didn't really believe in it. You know, in fact, I was a little angry about uh, religion and a lot of that had to do with my upbringing. So I didn't really believe in, 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 in God or what I was praying to, but you know, the people in these rooms told me to read the card, so I read the card, and guess what? It worked. You know, every time I read that, that card with the serenity prayer on it, uh, the urge to drink was, was lifted. And sometimes I had to read it again and again the same day. Um, but sooner than later, uh, those urges became fewer and further between. And, you know, after a short time, I realized, wow, I haven't had an urge to drink in a while. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the kind of person where, you know, yeah, my drinking career was short on the calendar, but my life absolutely completely revolved around alcohol um, until the day I walked in these rooms. Uh, everything about my life revolved around drinking, making sure I had enough booze to get me through the night, through the week, through the weekend, whatever. No matter how much I drank, it was never enough, um, you know. I, in my fantasy world, I liked that little buzz, but I would blow past that until I got into the blackout, until I didn't I know where I was, who I was with, what I was doing. Blackouts were very common. It was the norm, you know. Um, I, I did all the other things that, you know, you can imagine you would do at, at, when you're hitting bottom. At that time, you know, for kids my age, it was uh, sometimes easier to get drugs than it was to get alcohol. Um, but even when I, when I had both, you know, I, I found the drugs that allowed me to drink more. That's where my sickness was when I got here. Um, as much as I could have, it was never, ever enough. And um, it was through, you know, working the steps with a sponsor that I began to learn about the ism, that, that I, I began to learn about it. It's not really about how much you drink or, you know, what you do so much as you know, getting to the causes and conditions. That's what we learn about here in LA. And, um, yeah, I was a hard case. Uh, so I went to a step one meeting every single week on a Thursday night. Um, I did a lot of reading and writing assignments from the uh, 12 steps and 12 traditions. And, you know, gradually I started to work my way through all of these, you know, fantasies in my head about who I was and, and, and what I thought that I was about. And, and I learned about you know, reality. Um, this idea that I had about what I was uh, just wasn't really in line with reality at all. Um, 
and uh, I was I was a little bit of a thick thick-headed person too. Um, you know, my sponsor sometimes would get blue in the face talking to me, but he never gave up, um, and I never failed to do the assignments that I was given. You know, and I learned a lot too working on step one. I mean, like I said, there was a lot of kids my age that were doing the program at the time. Um, there were people who were a little older too, and I can't tell you how many times I go to a meeting and somebody in their late 20s would say to me, you know, I got a DUI when I was your age, or I got you know arrested for drugs when I was your age, or I got suspended from school, and uh, I wish I kept coming because I spent the last 10 years in and out of jails and in and out of rehabs and in and out of prison and you know homeless and this and that and the other thing. All of those things made an impression on me because early on, you know, I just wanted to get through my rehab commitment so I could go back to doing what I wanted to do. You know, but luckily I, I, I stayed with this long enough and I got to a point in sobriety where I didn't want that anymore. Where what I found in these rooms was far better than anything I could cook up on my own. Um, Back then, we did things a little bit differently in New Jersey. Uh, we didn't give out chips at every meeting like uh, they do around here. Uh, they didn't have newcomer chips or 30 or 60 day chips. The first recognition you got was 90 days. And when you got your 90 days, you got to stand up in front of your the home group with your sponsor. And your sponsor would spend about five minutes embarrassing you in front of the group by saying some things about you. And then you get a pin. And on the pin, there was a G at the top and an A at the bottom, and there was a little dot in the middle. And your sponsor would say, uh, the G stands for God, and the AA is Alcoholics Anonymous, and you're the little dot in the middle. And as long as you stay in between God and Alcoholics Anonymous, you're going to be okay. And when I was standing there getting my 90-day pin, I realized you know, I hadn't thought about drinking in, in over a month, which was a miracle for me. Um, it was probably the first realization of many miracles that I experienced in my years in this program. Um, I kept uh, working the steps with my sponsor. Um, step two, you know, I learned about the four things that would, the four roadblocks that would prevent us from making spiritual progress that has promised us. The uh, indifference, the prejudice, the fancied self-sufficiency. Uh, and uh, I had all of those character defects in spades. Um, the, the, the prejudgments that we make, uh, in the big book they stated a little bit differently. They call it contempt prior to investigation. It's the same idea though. Um, you know, there were so many things that I was told to do uh, in AA when I got here that I didn't want to do. Uh, but every single one of them, I did them anyway. And every single thing I was told to do uh, worked for me. You know, they told me to do a 90 and 90, so I did a 90 and 90. Uh, they told me not only to get a sponsor, but call my sponsor and do what my sponsor told me. So that's what I did. Um, they had special rules for young single people back then. If you were, uh, if you were uh, less than a year sober, you weren't allowed to get into a relationship. Uh, they also, for, for people who were, they said, uh, don't get divorced in your first year. Don't make any major changes. So. Um, you know, I stuck. Uh, I, I stuck with the rules, uh, even though I didn't like them. I stayed. Uh, I didn't date for the first year, which was hard for a high school kid. Um, you know, when the other kids were going to the prom, I was going to a meeting and going to an AA dance. But those things, you know, in retrospect, they saved my life. Uh, you know, by the time I graduated high school, I had about a year and a half of sobriety, and during that time, there were 
more kids than I can count who not only went back out but died trying. You know, uh, suicides, overdoses. One kid was intent on going to the prom. You know, even though his sponsor told him don't do that, he didn't even make it. Got drunk, hit a tree, was in a coma for about six months before he passed away. These these are things that happened all the time. You know, all the time. And every every day I had a reminder that you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. Um, all of those thoughts about, oh, you know, uh, I'm not going to ever be able to drink legally, you know, I'm going to celebrate my 21st birthday in sobriety and all this stuff, that was clouding my head in very early sobriety. All of those things, they just kind of took care of themselves. You know, these milestones came up. I graduated high school. I went to college. I turned 21. I never thought about drinking. You know, sobriety, just as much as, as, as being an active alcoholic was who I was before I got here, I became something else. You know, being a sober person was who I was. Um, and I found that, you know, this program is so much more than, you know, about not drinking. Nowhere in any of the literature are there instructions on how not to drink. There's no step that discusses how to stop drinking or how to stay stopped. There's nothing in any part of this program that, that even really addresses drinking. In fact, the only step that even mentioned alcohol is step one. Um, the AA program is, is one that teaches us how to live sober. Um, you know, there's a reason why I drank alcoholically beginning at the age of 13. You know, there was something broken inside me that caused me to want to, to do that. And if I kept doing it, there's no doubt that, you know, I would have found an early grave like so many people that I knew. Um, and quitting drinking wouldn't have solved, you know, those problems. It wouldn't have addressed those causes and conditions, like it says in, in step three in the big book. Uh, but working the steps with a sponsor, it, it allowed me to not just recover from the damage that I did from all those years of drinking and drugging and everything else that I was doing, uh, but it gave me better tools for living a sober life. Um, which I still use to this day every day. You know, even some of the simplest tools that I learned as a brand new newcomer way back then, I still use those tools today. You know, there's no graduation in AA. You know, I don't, I don't, I didn't, you know, suddenly get to a, a higher plane or something because I got X number of years of sobriety. Um, this disease doesn't have a cure. You know, yeah, I haven't thought about drinking since early 1986. I have no doubt that if I stopped practicing the steps, that eventually it would return, because that's what I've seen happen to other people. You know, people, for some reason, they, they stay sober for a while. You know, usually things start going well. They get the promotion. They get the new job. They get the, 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 the new wife or the husband or the bigger house or the this or that. They stop going to meetings. They stop calling their sponsor. They stop getting active. And then after a while, they stop, you know, Praying and meditating and doing the steps on their own, and next thing you know, they're back out. Um, you know, that's something that's not going to happen to me because, uh, you know, this program is, is, is a big part of who I am. Um, one of the steps talks about how, you know, we need spiritual nourishment the same way we need air and, and water. And that's, that's how I feel. Um, technology has helped a lot. You know, when I was new, I used to carry around a real Thick, big book, and uh, I got a 24-hour-a-day meditation book. Now I have those apps on my phone. 
uh, you know, when I go to Starbucks in the morning to get my morning coffee, instead of, you know, getting antsy because there's three slow people in front of me online, I take out my app and I do my uh, my morning meditation. I do my AA thought for the day. I do my meditation. I do my prayer. And I also, I try to carry something from that morning reading that I can carry with me, an hour or so, something to think about. And then I revisit it you know, throughout the day. Um, I've been reading that same book for 34 years now, and it's never gotten old. Um, it, it, it's, it's actually kind of cool because sometimes I'll be doing my, my daily reading, and I'll remember where at some point in the past I, I did that same reading, and it was like an epiphany, something you know, really, something just uh, switched in me, and, 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 and something lit up. Other times I'll I'll do my reading and I can't ever remember reading it before, you know, and it just kind of it's almost like reading it for the first time and something about it grabs me. Um, I was pretty slow going through the steps, but I didn't sit on any of them. I was more painstaking than anything else. Um, the most important thing is to do them. Uh, I also once I got through the steps, I started. Uh, sponsoring people there's an old and, and i don't think it comes from the program and it's, it's one of those ancient spiritual uh, isms uh, the student really doesn't learn until they become the teacher and the first time i took a sponsee through the steps i learned so much about this program that i hadn't learned before and you know even to this day decades that i've been sponsoring people every time i take a new sponsee through the steps i learned something new about this program i learned something new about myself uh, something about how to apply this program. And, and maybe it's not that, it, that I'm hearing it for the first time. It's just hitting me in that way where it resonates for the first time. Um, I've been active in general service uh, or intergroup or both on and off um, since the beginning. You know, sometimes I take breaks, but I'm mostly active. I'm always, I always have a home group. I've moved several times in my sobriety. I've actually lived uh, California is the fourth state I've lived in. I always get a new home group when I move somewhere new because uh, you know AA is my is where I'm rooted. Um, working the steps, you know, on on my own, practicing the principles of all my of all my affairs is one part of the program. But uh, step twelve does involve carrying the message to other alcoholics, and uh, you know I can't do that if I'm just practicing the program on my own. And for me, it's not just about sponsoring people or being active in my home group or other levels of service, I do all of them. Um, somebody a long time ago advised me to do that, and it worked, so I kept doing it. Uh, that's the wonderful thing about uh, having an addictive type of personality. You know, when, when we're out there running and gunning, we get into a lot of bad habits that are self-destructive. All we have to do is just retrain our brains and we can form new good habits. Um, and that's what I've done with uh, the guidance of this program. Um, there are so many tools in the steps, and every step has promises that come true if we work them. Uh, there's hundreds of promises in the big book alone. A lot of a lot of the meetings they read what they call the promises, which is actually uh, a small number of the ninth step promises. Um, they happen to be good ones. Uh, there's a reason why they're in the book uh, after the ninth step, though, um, because you know, step nine has us make amends to the people that we've harmed. Um, before we make amends, 
we have to become willing to make amends. And in order to become willing to make amends, we first have to drop all of our resentments. And those are those are two really important aspects of this program that go beyond, you know, just not drinking or, uh, you know, staying dry, staying sober. It's the emotional sobriety that this program gives us when we practice it the way we're meant to. Um, and that's why those wonderful promises that they read at the meetings come true after step nine. When we've gotten rid of those resentments, when we've made the amends that we're supposed to make, uh, all of a sudden we, we get that monkey off our backs. And if we continue to practice the steps and do the daily maintenance that's prescribed in steps 10, 11, and 12, you know, we can live a life free of resentments and we, we can have a, a different attitude and outlook on life where we're not living in a selfish way where we're hurting other people. And that's where that emotional sobriety comes from. That's where that serenity and that peace of mind comes from. And I use the daily tools that are in the book. Uh, I do the uh, daily inventories. I do the spot check inventories. I've learned how to pause when agitated and doubtful, when emotional or indecisive. Uh, this is something that, you know, just that one thing alone has made such a tremendous difference in my life. Um, not being swept up in the emotion of the moment, not, you know, turning my power over to somebody else who's pushing my buttons, uh, and, you know, getting God involved in the situation, you know, the praying and the meditating. I mentioned earlier, you know, when I got here, I to say that I wasn't into spirituality would be an understatement. I actually had a, a an adverse reaction. I actually felt an anger when I when I was in a meeting and people would talk about God or the steps would be read. It took me a little while to sort through all this, you know, going through the steps, but a lot of it had to do with my upbringing. Um, I also learned that you know this program, even though you know God is a part of the steps. Um, it has nothing to do with religion. Spirituality and religion are two different things. Um, this program taught me how to, number one, come to believe in a power greater than myself. Uh, and number two, um, how to nurture my own spirit, how to nurture my own soul. That's what spirituality is to me. I didn't know it when I got here, okay, even though I was sort of anti-God. Uh, I did have a power greater than myself when I got here, and it was alcohol. You know, and I also learned that it wasn't just the alcohol, it was the ism, you know, that my life revolved around. So changing my thinking and, and just getting a benign higher power that I could turn things over to, you know, was a big start, good step in the right direction. And, um, you know, as I started working my way, you know, uh, towards the inventory, um, you know, the, the, the obsession over the drinking started to fade, and I started to focus more on, the, on that emotional sobriety that we're promised. Every step that we do, there are promises that come true. Um, you know, for most people, when they, they work through the steps and keep practicing the steps, the obsession to drink is removed permanently, not to return, which I think that in itself, you know, makes all the work that I did with this program worthwhile. But there's so many more wonderful things that happen to her. Um, you know, the, the, the freedom from the bondage of self. You know, not, not just the freedom from the bondage of the disease, but the freedom from the bondage of self is so huge. Uh, the emotional sobriety. 
you know, when I got here, there were two emotions I wanted to feel, euphoria and numbness. You know, that's about all I could handle. And the quest for euphoria always ended in a drunken blackout, so that never went anywhere. Um, you know, I learned how, through this program, to feel what I'm supposed to feel, when I'm supposed to feel it. I've been sober a long time, so, you know, everything that a person's going to go through in their life, sober or drunk, I've experienced. Um, I, I've experienced losses. Um, I've, uh, you know, I was sober about 16 years when I uh, went through stage 4 cancer treatment. Um, there's nothing bad that ever happened or challenging that happened that ever made me want to drink again. In fact, when I went through the cancer treatment, I actually dug it even deeper, you know, into this program and, you know, really, like, worked it like I never had before. I even picked up a couple of new sponsees while I was going through chemotherapy. You know, sometimes I was in such bad shape, they would come and sit by my bedside so I could go over their step work. But um, my spirituality before or even since was never even reached that high point because this program saved my life from the disease of alcoholism, so I used it to get through the cancer. Um, people, people who go out, they don't, they don't always go out when things are tough. I mean, sometimes you hear people, you know, things got tough, so I went and drank. Most of the time, though, it's things get better. Things get better. They forgot how bad it was. They, they drift away from the program slowly, and next thing you know, uh, they're back out again. Um, I love what it says in Chapter 5, uh, the, por the part of uh, how it works that we read at every meeting. It, it's got so many really important one-liners in there. Those who do not recover are those who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program. Um, I, I wasn't willing to completely give myself to this, this program when I walked in the door. I mean, I, I had so many reservations. I, I wanted to go out and drink so badly, but I stuck around long enough uh, to give it a chance. And, and the, the suggestions I was given, I was I followed them uh, religiously, even though I didn't want to. You know, I, I, my sponsor will tell you uh, I argued about everything, but in, in the end, I did what he told me to do every single time. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe I just needed to hear myself make the argument to convince myself because that's where I was at that time. But I, I followed all the suggestions. Uh, it's the same thing for the people that I've tried to sponsor over the years. The people who, it doesn't matter what kind of bottom they hit. It doesn't matter what they went through. If they follow the steps the way they're meant to be worked, they're going to get sober. That's why they call them promises. It's the people who try to make up their own version of the program, or they treat it like a, uh, an all-you-can-eat buffet. You know, oh, I'll do this part, but not that part. Those are the ones who don't make it. Um, I've come to find that there's no part of this program that I don't like. You know, I've come to embrace it all, which is also a wonderful gift. In fact, the things that I disliked the most when I was new, or or gave me the the sort of the, the, the most adverse internal reaction when I heard them. Those are the things that actually did the most in terms of spiritual growth for me. You know, When they told me to pray for somebody that I had a resentment for, what are you, crazy? Okay, but it, 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 it works. You know, it, 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 it not only works when you have a resentment, but, you know, any time there's a chance that you might get one if you just follow that advice, it's like a, a, an inoculation that prevents you from getting a resentment. 
when I was new, I, I spent so much time, you know, uh, obsessing over what this person did or what that person did or what this person didn't do for me or what I wasn't getting or what I wanted or what I thought I deserved. It's such a wonderful thing not to be in that mindset anymore, you know. And, and I was only able to get past that by taking that advice that I didn't like. Okay, you got to resent me. You're mad at so and so. Get on your knees and say a prayer for that person. To get on your knees was really important. Um, another big part of my program, and this is something that I share with people, whether they have a day of sobriety and I'm, I'm just starting to sponsor them or they've got several years and they think maybe they missed something and they want to get a new sponsor, uh, is gratitude. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, at my second meeting, uh, Joe was standing at the door and he said, I'm a grateful, happy alcoholic. Uh, gratitude is first mentioned in step 10 in the 12 and 12. Uh, where, you know, we're told to do our daily inventory. Um, and a lot of us, you know, we think, oh, okay, we've got to recount all the bad stuff we did. And, you know, admit we're wrong and make amends. And that's part of it. But a big part of it, too, is counting our blessings. Um, a lot of people forget to do that. When I was new, gratitude lists were one of the first things that sponsors would tell their new sponsors. You know, uh, you know, you're feeling sorry for yourself, you're in fear, you're angry, whatever. Go home, make a gratitude list, and call me and tell me about it. You know? uh, I not only make the gratitude list, but I make sure that I thank God for those blessings, too. That's an important part of it. If, if you're not at the point where you have a higher power, you don't believe in God yet, then that's okay. Just make the list, and, and the rest will, come, will fall into place. Maybe. Uh, but it's important for me to, you know, give thanks to God for the blessings because I never would have made the decision to come into this program. You know, a, a series of just inexplicable events happened that got me here uh, at a young age and really saved my life. I can't tell you, and like I said, I don't do the real story, but there are so many stories I could tell you waking up in a strange place in Washington Square Park in New York City in Harlem, all these places where I went to buy drugs. I could have been dead a million times. Um, you know, Somehow I got through that, I got into these rooms, and not only that, but somehow I managed to get it the first time. You know, every time the disease said, don't follow that suggestion your sponsor's giving you, you know, just go have a drink. I didn't listen to the disease. You know, that wasn't me. I can't take credit for that. That was God that did that for me. That was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself at that time. Um, and I have a lot of gratitude for that. Um, I also... Uh, you know, gratitude is a, a principle of this program. When we get to step 12, we talk about practicing the principles in all of our affairs. Gratitude is right at the top of the list. You know, I, we learn about honesty in step one, open-mindedness in step two, willingness in step three. We learn about faith and humility. And what's humility? I, it took me years to learn what humility was. The quickest way to learn about humility is to get on your knees and thank God for your blessings. That's being humble, you know. And... It's amazing. It doesn't matter what's going on, even if there's something legitimately bothering me, you know, that I'm really struggling with, you know, not just some fantasy or some obsession, but something, you know, that I really, you know, need help to get through. It's amazing how just writing out that gratitude list and then taking a few minutes to thank God for the things on that list changes my whole attitude and outlook on that situation. I've even learned how to apply gratitude to a specific situation. You know, if you hate your job. Make a list of reasons why you're grateful for your job. 
you know, you don't like your boss, make make a list of reasons why you're grateful for your boss. It's amazing, you know, like I said, there's no cure for this disease, and it doesn't matter how long I've been sober. The disease wants to do as much damage as possible. The disease wants to, to isolate me from my fellows. It wants to get me, uh, if it can't get me drunk, it at least wants to get screw me up. And uh, but when I practice the principles of this program, the disease doesn't win ever. You know, it only wins when I fail to to pick up the tools and use them the way I'm supposed to. Um, but I've learned, you know, as I mentioned, you know, there's no instructions in the book on not drinking. There's, you know, there's also no real instructions in the book on how to do a lot of things. But there's instructions on how to act in a sober way. You know, there's a way, there's instructions on how to act in a, in a way that's unselfish. Today, the meditation from the 24-hour day book was about tolerance and about how we should seek help from God to be more tolerant and uh, less selfish towards people. Um, you know, and these are things where every single day I can use that reading and I can implement it in my life that day in a way maybe I didn't think about doing it the day before. You know, there's always progress to be made. Uh, we claim spiritual progress rather than perfection. It's not just a uh, it's not just a promise, but it's also a mandate. You know, we get the spiritual progress because we do the work to get it. If we seek it, we'll we'll succeed. That's that's another wonderful thing about this program is if we if we, if we try, that's all we have to do to succeed. There's there's no failing if we give it a hundred percent effort. You know, there's no failing if we hundred percent on step one. We'll do step one. There's no failing if we give it 100% effort when we get to step two. We'll do it. We'll stay sober, and we'll get the promises that come along with it. I've never encountered anything else in life that's guaranteed results like that, nothing. So, anyways, uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, if you're new, I hope you heard something tonight that makes you want to come back, and thank you. Thank you.